Well, hello, hello. It's been a long time since I have done a podcast or video. I guess I'll post this to, to YouTube as well. Maybe to my blog and to the, uh, the newsletter list as well. Um, you haven't seen a ton from me in the last few months. A lot has been going on behind the scenes. I've been as busy as ever, if not more, with some major changes. So just today, I sent an email to the, all of the investors, all the amazing investors who took a chance on me, uh, you know, after we built up Praxis for, for five years, starting in 2013. And, and um, Mike Maples, a world-class investor from Floodgate, you know, reached out to me one day, cold email, and I uh, got a conversation started that ended up resulting in me raising a round to build the platform that would eventually be Crash.co. And after a three and a half year, absolutely insane journey, brutal journey, hardest, hardest three and a half years of my entire life. Uh, such a, such a rough struggle in so many ways, some really high points, some ton of things that I learned. Uh, one of those years was documented weekly in the inner game of startups, a Substack newsletter that was later turned into a book. Um, but I emailed investors this morning and let them know that I am uh, now fully removed from Crash, which Crash itself has the platform, the video pitch tool has been dropped and it's been converted to purely content, to a media site called careerhackers.com. And Joel Bine is running careerhackers.com as a standalone independent media site Tons of great content there, a daily newsletter with tons of subscribers, podcasts, running virtual events, a lot of cool stuff happening there, but not the software platform, not the venture-backed play that we set out to build. And sending that email this morning and making that final, you know, hey, uh, this is where it's at. Um, honestly, it felt great. Uh, because I think all of the painful parts I already went through, <laughs> all of the brutal, brutal parts of not getting that vision that we had to reach the level of success we intended. Certainly not for a venture-backed company. Crash could have potentially um, continued to work if it was a bootstrap company like, hey, small scale, we had some paying users, we had some people that were finding success with it, but not in the number, not the scale necessary. To really make it worth, you know, what we set out to to do. So that was a that was a big moment in it for me, and I will have a lot more to say over coming days, weeks, months, years about the lessons all along the way of doing a venture back tech startup. How much different it was from bootstrapping a service business with Praxis. Um, all the things. We did wrong. I did wrong. Let's be serious. Let's be honest here. Like the team was phenomenal all the time. Um, not like they didn't make any mistakes, but um, like, I just mean my strategy, my, my approaches, my pursuit, like I'm, I'm not placing blame anywhere else. All the things I did wrong, all the things I learned. In fact, maybe I should just do like a little series. Cause there's so many like lessons I learned, like in retrospect, there's so many things I would have done differently. Now I don't even know doing those things differently that um, we would have succeeded with what we set out to build with Crash anyway. I'm not sure. I think the market, product market fit is a very big stretch. There's a whole lot of reasons. I can get into, again, there's a ton I can get into there and I will eventually. 
But that's not what this podcast is about. That's not what this update is about. It's about a new company that's been born. You know, I, I thought as I saw the final efforts for Crash not working and realizing, well, hey, basically what we've got is a really valuable media company. Let's go all in on that. Turn it into career hackers. Make it a media company. Let Joel run it. I'll step away. Well, what am I going to do next? And I knew, I knew I've got a couple more companies in me, at least one more. I know I, lo I love to build stuff. I love entrepreneurship. But I was like, eh, I don't think, I don't know. I, I feel like I might need to cool off period. I'm so beat up from going through this, you know, building Praxis from zero to one and then building Crash from zero to point two <laughs> and pivoting it to something different. And then, so I was like, I might need like just do some fractional CMO work for some startups for a while. I don't know. I need something. Well, lo and behold, the, the world has a mysterious way of taking you directions you never expected and delighting you with surprises. So instead, starting a new company, but not on my own this time. I'm a co-founder, uh, which is also a first for me. And Jared Fuller, who I've known for years, at least a dozen years, we go way back to the days when I was working in the nonprofit world. He was a, I think he was a college student when I first met him. Then he dropped out and started a marketing agency. We were both in very parallel tracks way back in those days, 2013, 2012, uh, talking about entrepreneurship as the most viable means, as the most effective means for improving the world, advancing human liberty, things like that. Um, he went and started a company actually in the job space, actually very similar to Crash, way ahead of its time called JobHive. I was an early customer and user of JobHive, which was very cool. It used video in a very unique way. It was kind of a similar idea of like, hey, the resume is not working as a filtering mechanism. And um, he had just insane, crazy stories with JobHive. Ended up going on from JobHive, uh, which actually had a ton of success. And it, it, it fell apart for reasons unrelated to uh, failure of product market fit, at least from my estimation. So um, I think he did it better <laughs> than I did at Crash. He went on to work at PandaDoc and helped them, you know, get start very early on. And he grew their sales team and their partnership strategy. And he he set up this massive partnership with HubSpot, which propelled PandaDoc to to huge success. And while he was at PandaDoc, I had started Praxis and was building Praxis. He built an entire sales team from Praxis participants. He was our first super business partner. We had lots of businesses that would take one or two Praxians. He hired like five, 10, 20. He had a whole system set up for onboarding them, training them. There's like this PandaDoc Praxian cult that formed, which is phenomenal. It was such a great win-win for us having this amazing place where they're getting all this support and someone who totally understood what these Praxians are all about, understood how they were raw, but they had all the work ethic, building them up, building this team is amazing. He went on from PandaDoc to go work at Drift, which was an incredible hyper growth story and was a part of massive partnerships at Drift. He ran their partner strategy. Um, so all along this time, we've been in touch, we've talked, we've you know been customers of each other's, et cetera. So Partner Hacker, where's that come from? He, he had a podcast called the Partner Up Podcast that he'd been doing for about a year, year and a half, all about partnerships in the business-to-business -business software as a service, B2B SaaS world, companies that are selling software to other companies using partnerships as their, you know, as a, as a part of their distribution strategy. And I'll, and I'll get to sort of what that is a little bit more in a second. 
And he was like, man, this is a really growing segment right here. Like partnerships are becoming really, really important and something's happening here. And there's no, there's really no content there. You know, if you go look for great marketing campaigns or resources for how to be a good marketer, it's like endless. You look for great sales tactics, you know, how to be a great salesperson, endless. You got communities, you got content, you got events, saleshacker.com. Recognize a pattern here, right? Um, nothing like that in the partnerships world. So he was like, I reached out to him to say, hey, I'm looking for some CMO work, I think. I'm kind of winding down my involvement in, uh, in Crash and transitioning it over to this media site. I did not have the idea for the name Career Hackers for that yet until Jared gave me uh, his pitch on Partner Hacker. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea for a media site. So uh, totally, totally borrowed that from him. Um, totally different audience, of course. And he's like, yeah, you could do that. Or you could come build this media business with me called Partner Hacker. I want to turn this podcast into much more. I want to have content. I want to have a newsletter. I want to have, you know, I want to build up this thing to be a, to be the media and events company for the partnerships world. And I was like, I don't know anything about <laughs> B2B SaaS partnerships. And he's like, no, you definitely know some. You've definitely done partnership related stuff with your companies. And I'm like, well, I guess a little, but I'm not, I'm not like, you know, an insider from that. I don't have, you know, Jared's like this master at it and has, has brokered some of the most insane company defining partnerships has had huge success. And he's like, but you know how to do content. You know, I, I built Praxis and pretty much entirely off of, we built Praxis pretty much entirely off of content, um, books, podcasts, blog posts, you know, interview, all, you know, all that kind of stuff, media. And that's the, that's the part of Crash that worked. That was the only part that ever really worked at scale. You know, having over 200,000 subscribers to the Daily Job Hunt newsletter, like the media component, the content engine. I was like, yeah, okay, I do love content. I know how to build that stuff. But so he's like, go listen to a couple podcast episodes and then come back and tell me you don't see the amazing opportunity here in this world of B2B SaaS partnerships. So I took the challenge. I took the homework assignment and, uh, and I came back and I said, I see it. And I kind of had this in-between phase where I was like, well, I'm also really interested in like micropayments and I'm, I'm, I'm working on maybe doing kind of a business in that space. And I was talking to some potential, you know, co-founders, investors, had some ideas there. But it just kept hitting wall after wall after wall, mostly legal, frankly. Like the, the regulation is just absolutely stupid in anything financial. And basically it's like just a, a massive matter. You just have to decide if you're willing to like break laws and risk going to jail if you want to do anything truly innovative. I was like, yeah, maybe if I didn't have four kids, I would go, uh, go do gray market, black market stuff on micropayments. But, um, but just kept running into walls. And this partner hacker opportunities here. I remember talking to my wife and being like, this is so different and so new to me. And that has two elements to it. One of them really excites me because I love doing new things. And one part of it is like, yeah, but I don't know what I'm doing there. I'm not in my wheelhouse, right? Like I, I'm so comfortable. Get me on a podcast, get me on national news. Get me, I can write a book in no time at all about anything related to early career education. I've been in that space for so long, 15 plus years. I've written thousands of articles. I've been on hundreds of podcasts and hosted them. I've published books. I've been on news. I've, I've given hundreds of presentations. Like, I know it. I speak with confidence and, and some level of authority there from experience with thousands of job seekers. Like, I know what I'm doing there. That's my wheelhouse, right? But I also am like worn down and tired and like, I like new things. So being like, well, stepping into something new, learning something new, a new challenge in a very exciting industry full of opportunity, exciting. 
but a little scary too, right? Like, what do I, what do I even bring to the table? I'm not an expert here. So, so I thought about it and, and talking with Jared and I was like, you know what? I think this is it, man. I think this is the move. And I jumped in, I jumped all in. So partner hacker was launched. First, it was a podcast, then a daily newsletter, then a media site. And now events just published a book. Um, only a few months ago, officially launched in April, 2022, the website and everything. And it's just ramped up. It's been insane. The growth has been insane. The demand from the market is massive. It's been amazing. So as I said, I will definitely be sharing a lot more about Crash Career Hackers, lessons learned, all that stuff. But I want to talk today. I already talked too much about other stuff. I want to focus right now about what the hell is Partner Hacker? Why am I so excited about this? You know, I've had, um, I've had so many moments in my career and life where people around me have been shocked and confused by a move that I made. Like, what? You're doing this? You were so good at this other thing. That was you. That was who you are. That was your identity. And one of my principles is that when you make a big career move, it should shock and confuse people. Why? Because that means that whatever you're doing before, you were fully 100% immersed in it. You held nothing back. You became that thing. You lived it and breathed it. And I think that's the best way to do anything. So if you do something different, it should be difficult for people to understand because they should so strongly identify you with what you did, what you lived and breathed. And that's very much the case here. It's like, okay, I've been Mr. You know, alternatives to college, early career guy for so long that people are like, what? B2B SaaS partnership? I'm so confused, right? Um, so people are like, why? Why that? Uh, and I want to tell you why I want to tell you what's amazing about this, what I find fascinating, what excites me. So there's, there's a major shift that's happening. We're at the very beginning of it in the world, like a decade defining shift. And you may think it's very, very tight and it's very, very niche, this B2B SaaS partnerships thing. And it is, but it represents something. It is the inevitable result of a much larger much more fascinating economic, sociological, cultural trend that I think is just very, very cool. So you can think of the information age, the digital age, as this massive fundamental shift in the beginning of a lot of you know, sort of subsequent shifts. And in the first decade after the sort of digital age came on the scene, right? Like before the digital dominance age, business was done, it was the brand era. Business was done through brand power. There was no real data around it. It was like Super Bowl ads and billboards and like brand awareness. And you couldn't really measure it. You didn't know. You joked about half of your marketing budget was wasted. You didn't know which half, right? The digital age comes along. And first you get this revolution in sales, particularly like software starts eating the world. And more and more things are done through software instead of through like, you know, services and and things like that. So software starts being sold in like physical boxes, right? Physical packages through resellers, through retailers, et cetera. With the internet, now software can be sold directly. The companies that produce software can directly sell it to consumers. They don't need to go and buy a physical box. They don't need to get it shipped to some retailer who agrees to sell it or some uh, you know, company that is a consulting firm that comes in and installs it for you, et cetera, you have SaaS, right? Software as a service. 
you pay every month and it's you're you're connecting to it you're streaming it from the cloud so to speak until you decide you don't want it anymore and you stop paying right so all of these software tools is like this proliferation instead of these big giant conglomerate packages that do everything for you and get installed once a year by some massive you know project you start to see the unbundling happen where you've got all these tools developing and people are buying them on a subscription basis and and the sales process for that is direct sales process you start to get things like the systemization of it with tools like the CRM customer relationship management salesforce is like the biggest one right that you have salesforce which is itself a saas tool that is this allows you to systematize and scale the direct sales of your software tool you're a, a business you know especially for b2b if you're selling software to other businesses your sales reps can manage massive amounts of people without ever physically going and playing golf with them and doing kind of this old school stuff um massive amounts of prospects and and you know leads and and customers and in a very systematized way um and you can do things on like a bulk scale and all this stuff right so the decade of like sales tech right was was like the 2000s and you can see all the companies that build and sell the sales tech became monsters, like not all of them, but many of them did, right? In the industry as a whole. The next decade was marketing tech, the 2010s. You had the HubSpots of the world. You had the, the number of marketing, the MarTech stack, marketing technology stack of software. It went from a few hundred in 2010 or 2009 to 10,000 last year. 10,000 different software tools. And you think of all these different tools out there, right? Everything from, uh, you know, from your MailChimp that manages your email newsletters to um, things like uh, Mixpanel that shows you all kinds of data on who's visiting your site to, I mean, just like it's endless, right? To like even tools like Zapier that just helps your other tools talk to each other well, right? Tools like HubSpot, certainly. Landing page builders like ConvertFlow, form builders like Typeform, like all these marketing tools. So marketing automation, that, that decade sort of happened, right? In the 2010s, where now you can start to, all that marketing you're doing based on data, you're doing it at scale. You're able to automate it. You're able to, to create these processes and workflows. Someone visits your site and then they go to Facebook. They automatically get served an ad based on where they visited on your site. If they click that ad and they go to something to download an ebook, they automatically get triggered a series of emails over the next few days that are the content changes based on other actions that they've taken tailored to them, right? You kind of get this whole thing of account-based marketing where everything is tailored to the individual based on their behaviors and who they are and all this kind of stuff. Now we're entering a new era. And I believe it's the era of ecosystems. I believe it's the partnerships era. Because what happened was the customer is getting overwhelmed now. The digital age kicks off. Companies realize they can now directly sell, directly market. They can target with data. They can automate. They can do all this stuff. Cost of information and you know, targeting and all this stuff has gotten so low. Everyone's doing it so much that we're overwhelmed. There's studies that show people with the average person sees between the average American between 400 and 10,000 ad impressions a day. Like overwhelming amounts of information. Cold emails, cold calls, people trying to directly sell you their services, their software in particular, ads everywhere, right? It's 
it's overwhelming. So what are consumers doing? They are sort of retreating inward to their network, to their, to their circles of trust, to the ecosystem in which they live, which has all these different nodes. It's a, it's a, it's sort of like a more of a messy, complex network, right? Companies like to think of their customers as existing in funnels. Oh, here's my, here's my potential customer. I'm going to target them with some marketing. Now they're top of funnel, capture their lead based on some action they're going to take. Okay, now we're going to nurture that lead, pass them on to the sales team, right? Now the sales team is going to do a demo with them. They'll buy it. We'll pass them on to the customer success team who makes sure that they keep staying with us and don't quit. That's how businesses have looked at it. And they have all these direct approaches. And, but the customer doesn't want to be shoved down a funnel. They don't think that way. They're, especially now, they're overwhelmed. They're, you get a cold email that says, hey, you should use you know, monday.com for your business's task management. I'm not going to open that and be like, really? Monday.com? Let me book a demo. I'm going to be like, more marketing, more marketing, more marketing. I go see ads by monday.com. Marketing, marketing. It's too much sales people trying to call me. Yeah, get it out of here, right? What am I, I going to do, though? If I'm like, hey, we need task management tools. Our, our, our workflow is getting unwieldy. What are the best tools out there? Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to go ask people I trust. I'm going to go ask friends, family, coworkers. Hey, what are some good tools for this? I might go tweet it or post it to LinkedIn. Hey, what are some of the task management tools you like and why? I might go look at, I'm listening to a podcast with somebody who I value uh, and they say, oh, this, I love this tool because of X, Y, and Z. I might hire a company, say, hey, we need to set up our, our stack in the background that manages all the stuff we're doing. Will you help us set it up? And they say, what tools do you want to use? I don't know, whatever you think is best. And they say, okay, how about we use monday.com, right? Or I might already use tools. I might use Slack and MailChimp. And I might see MailChimp say, hey, by the way, we have a new integration with monday.com. It lets you manage all of your tasks, including your email newsletter tasks and you know, how you're going to manage who writes them, who reviews them, who sends them. Here you go. Here's a little little screenshot of how this integration works. And I might be like, oh, that's actually really handy. I trust MailChimp. I'm already a customer. Let me use them, right? This is the way people are starting to make their buying decisions, especially for B2B software tools or business software tools. They are not waiting till they get a cold email or see an ad impression and then entering someone's funnel and working down the funnel and just buying it. They're overwhelmed by that. So they're looking to their network. They're looking to their community. They're looking to their ecosystem. All of those are potential partners for those B2B SaaS companies. And they're all very different types of partners, but they're all fun to fall under the partnerships banner. So you could have a affiliate uh, or referral partner, like a podcast host, like an influencer, right? Someone who's like, hey, people trust me when I talk about business related things or marketing or whatever. So if I say this is a great piece of software, you should check it out. They're going to trust that, right? That's a, that's a type of a partner. And so working with them is a type of indirect marketing or sales. You're working through your partner uh, to, to get your product out there. Another type of partner is a service partner, an agency, a company that's like, hey, we hired a marketing agency to help us ramp up our marketing game. They told us that we should use MailChimp plus, you know, Mux plus, uh, you know, uh, 
Webflow plus, and they're gonna they're gonna give a software stack. And you're gonna trust them. So, as a company selling one of those software tools, the more you can make those agencies love you, you make their life easier. You say you can pass them on referrals. Hey, here's a bunch of people that are looking for help setting up their software. Maybe you can help them. You send them business. Guess what? They're going to send you business. They're going to say, hey, every time I get a new customer, I, I set them up on your software, right? You can set up programs and things to create a network of service partners, of companies that are you know, agencies that are out there helping implement, install, service, sell your software because they have more trust with the, with the end user than you do if you're just coming at them cold. Tech partners are another type. Remember the integration I mentioned? If MailChimp says, hey, we have a new integration with this task management tool. The most likely like high quality users of your product are people who are using other products that are non-competitive but are adjacent to yours. And if you can integrate and show that you have an integration, right? Like just listing your, like getting listed on the Salesforce app exchange, for example, or like when you go on, on Slack, and you look on their integrations directory library, you're much more likely to use a tool to solve a specific problem if Slack says we integrate with it than if you just encounter it in the wild and they don't integrate with anything you're already using. For one, pragmatically, you want all your tools to talk together and work together. But two, the brand that you already trust puts their stamp of approval on it, right? And so as a company selling this software, you want to figure out what companies, what what are our customers using? What other tools are they using? How can we have an integration with them? How can we get listed in their integrations directory? How can we go to market with them together? Can we target our mutual prospects and say, hey, you know, uh, whatever, Monday plus MailChimp is a match made in heaven. And you get to like co-marketing, co-selling. This, this idea of going to market together with partners, service partners, tech partners, right? Um, influencers and, and affiliates. Uh, this is where things are headed, 100%. And this is the big, this is the big revelation. This is the partner hacker manifesto. Our our tagline is trust is the new data. You've heard data is the new oil. So everybody get get all the data, get all the data from all the people, and then start blasting them with automated messages of every kind and just trying to like target ads at them and hit them with emails and all this kind of stuff. People are overwhelmed by that. They don't want their life run by algorithms. They don't want to be targeted and crammed into your funnel based on their data. They want trust. They want to go to somebody, hey, we're, we're setting up uh, something for payments. What should we use? And their buddy who's a developer is like, use Stripe. I'm rapidly in love with Stripe because they have such good documentation. You'll be like, cool, I trust you, right? You trust them. You're not going to go with whoever hit you with the most ads on Twitter, whoever sent the most, you're overwhelmed by that stuff. How does Stripe make that person give you that recommendation? By recognizing that all developers, if we make developers love us, they have influence. That's our ecosystem. So let's give them something. Let's give them great documentation. Let's give them things that make them happy and make their lives easier. And as a result, they will be loyal and rabid and we'll have this whole ecosystem, right? Look at Salesforce. Their whole thing is, and this is like any platform company's approach. We're going to build a platform that anyone can build on top of. We're going we're gonna to open, we're going to have APIs. We're going to open up things so that people can build tools on top of ours. And there's so many companies, Salesforce claims that I don't remember the stat now. I'm going to get it wrong. It's, it's between five and $10 for every $1 of value that Salesforce creates of every $1 of revenue, 
that goes to Salesforce, another five to 10 on top of that goes to people in their ecosystem, to service companies that help you set up and, and maintain Salesforce, to other technologies that you buy in addition to Salesforce to plug into it and help it do other things that integrate with it, right? Like their ecosystem is so big, which means that they are, they are connected to so many other things. They're resilient. They're anti-fragile, right? Complexity in an ecosystem actually makes it more resilient. You think about an ecosystem in nature, you know, you, you, you look at something that you have all these different species mixed together, all in this big giant thing, it gives a resiliency there. If any one of them dies off, the whole, the whole ecosystem doesn't necessarily die, right? So if, you're, if your product is being distributed, not just through your sales team and your marketing team, but you have a whole network of hundreds of, let's say, uh, influencers who have audiences who are also talking about your product. You have dozens of companies that you have integrations with, and you're getting new customers through them. They sign up for their software, then they add on your software to do an integration and to do some additional you know, work. You have agencies out there who are selling and servicing uh, companies' needs in whatever area you serve, say it's marketing tech. They're constantly getting new clients onboarded, right? Now you have this diverse, it's like one of the companies in this space, PartnerStack, they sell a a tool to manage your partnerships, they say, what if you had no sales team, right? And the, the idea is, what if the world was your sales team? What if all these people that are not inside your company were the ones, your ecosystem, your customer's ecosystem? So this is the shift. And what's crazy is we're at the very early innings, like decade of sales tech, decade of MarTech. This is the decade of partnerships, of partner ecosystems. And we're just starting to see the beginning. Right now, there's like 200 companies or so that sell tools for managing your indirect sales partnerships, tools that help you look at other companies that you work with and, and compare your databases to see people that are, oh, they're a prospect of ours. They're a customer of yours. Hey, will you help me go reach out and make them a customer of ours and vice versa, co-selling, right? Tools that help you manage affiliates and get them automatically paid and all this kind of stuff. All these like partner tech, there's a couple hundred companies there. By the end of the decade, just like with MarTech, there'll be thousands, maybe 10,000. It's, a, it's a the beginning of a massive growth area because the ROI on direct sales and marketing is plummeting. It's getting costlier and costlier to target those people, to get their attention. Privacy concerns have made it even harder. People don't want to be tracked and bundled and turned into a widget of data and crammed down your funnel and fed an automated drip of emails constantly. They're overwhelmed, right? So getting integrated into the communities, living in market, instead of go to market, like it's some kind of attack where you're sitting up on a hill throwing bombs at your market, go to market, your target market, right? Metaphors we live by. Not the best me metaphor analogy, a funnel cramming everyone into this linear thing that gets them to your product at the end living in your market. It's an ecosystem. You're a part of it and you're building trust by giving. You're giving people value and, it's, and you're making them want to send customers your way. You're giving your customers a great experience, making them want to tell other people, right? You're sending leads to, to, to service agencies. Hey, our users really want to do X, Y, and Z. We can't do it. It's not our core business model. Do you want to service them? And they say, wow, this is great. Thank you. And they start to sign up more of their customers with you, right? It's like a, 
it's like a create value first. And this is why you can see, obviously, if you've been following me and, and Praxis and Crash and Career Hackers, you see it, the value creation mindset, create value, create a project for someone, do free work, send them a pitch that shows demonstrably how you'll create value, create a value prop. That's what the partnerships world, it's applying those lessons for your individual career to the business. As a company, instead of going out to customers and being like, buy, 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 please buy. Go out to people the customers trust and say, here, let me give you something. Let me create something for you. Let me elevate you. Let me help you achieve your goals. Let me make you famous. Let me send you business. Let me help market and promote you for free. You give. And then they say, damn, I love working with this company. Wow. They're always so generous. They're helping me out so much. Yeah, I'll definitely tell people to sign up with them. Yeah, I want to build an integration with them. That's the mindset. So you can see the connection. You can see why when the light bulb went off for me, when Jared partner pilled me, as we like to say it, partner hacker, I was like, I get it. It's applying all of the stuff that I've learned about building social capital, learning out loud, uh, you know, giving first, doing free work, creating value, applying that to the B2B SaaS world. And it gets me incredibly excited. So what's cool is we're at the very early innings of this and we're just starting, the trends are all there. Like if you look just data wise, Customers who came through a partner are like 50%, they convert like 50% higher than customers that, that come through direct. They, they stay, their retention is something like 50% greater. The average value is like, I'm just, these numbers are not entirely accurate. I can't remember the exact, but I'm, I'm in the right ballpark. At least 50% higher average value. These are like, you can look at all these studies by Foresters and Garnet, all these places, like across these companies, the data is there. Customers that come through partners, that come through your ecosystem indirectly, they find you through someone else, not through your direct sales efforts. Better customers, more valuable customers, customers that stick around more, right? Uh, their time to close is faster because by the time they arrive on your doorstep, they already trust you because somebody else has already put their stamp of approval on you, right? Um, so, but these things are early. The data is just starting to come in. People are just starting to figure out ways to track it. It's very, very hard to track these things compared to your direct. Direct, you can like send out an email, see how many people click, see what they went to after they clicked, see what percent converted. Do what, you know, this is much harder. Your ecosystem, it's like, okay, we put out amazing documentation that we didn't have to do. We, had, we opened up our APIs so developers can use it. People can build on it. We gave away stuff. And now people like us more and our business is growing, but we can't directly attribute very easily where that came from, right? It's like, uh, I, it's like, hey, partnerships person, are you sure this is valuable? Yes, can you prove to me? Can you measure it? Kind of, and that's what's exciting. That's like where marketing was at the early, you know, early 2010s. It was like just starting to be able to measure some of this stuff. So that will come, but more and more people are realizing it. Certainly people in B2B that are facing the pain of direct, they're realizing, huh, I'm getting all the best stuff from this. So much so that just this year, I would say three of the top venture capital firms in the world, A16Z, Bessemer, OpenView, have all said something to the effect of, you need to have a partnership strategy from day one. It used to be a startup would start and their go-to-market strategy would be all about how you're going to ramp up your direct sales, your marketing channels, all these things. And you'd always have this kind of like, eh, partner distribution. Then like once you got a solid footing, it was like, okay, we should hire a partnerships person. We should think about strategic partnerships. We should think about 
channel partners. We should think about resellers, service agencies. We should think about integration. They were kind of like add-ons to your core, right? Where it's like, we're going to do everything ourselves. And then as an add-on, maybe sometimes we'll work with other companies. Now that's flipped. In fact, somebody from A16Z uh, at a conference recently and over the summer said, if we look at two companies and one projects 300% growth and the other one projects 200%, but, but 300% growth, but it's all from direct. It's all through their direct sales pipeline. And another projects 200% growth, but half of it is partner sourced. Half of it is through their ecosystem. It's coming to them indirectly from tech partners or service partners or affiliates. We would invest in that company because it's more sustainable. It's lower cost. That company that's 100% direct, they're going to have to keep pouring money, keep pouring money. It does, it, it's going to hit a ceiling at some point. But you build that ecosystem and it's sustainable, it's resilient, and it can grow at such a lower ROI if you do it right. It's a longer term play. It's harder to get it going, but it, but it works better in the long run. And it's frankly, it's more human. It's more human and it's more like there's something beautiful about it. So this is what really excites me. And what's really cool is because it's so early, the conversations are really young. So traditionally, partnerships have been like, oh, we have a partnerships person or like a biz dev person who like works under the sales head or something like that. And their job is to like find partnerships for us. But this impacts every single department at the organization, at a software company, at a, at a tech startup. And it's a different conversation for each. So it's not like you hire a partnerships person and now you're like, cool, make us do partnership stuff. Get our go-to-market to be changed. Make it an ecosystem play. You know, it's like, okay, what does this mean for the product team? They need to think about integrations first and foremost. They need to think about what ecosystem do they live in? How can they play nice with the other products and tools there? What does this mean for our sales team? They need to think about co-selling. They need to think about going into prospects together with people they already trust, whether that's agencies or other tech companies. What's it mean for marketing? They need to think about co-marketing. They need to think about working with uh, influencers and others, again, trusted by the potential customers doing events together. That's like the easiest, lowest hanging fruit, doing co-marketing together. Um, you know, learning how to be in market, living there uh, among the nodes of trust. What does it mean for customer success departments? It means that when they have service requests, instead of just being like, oh, we can't help you or, oh, here, we can try to help you and here's some documentation. Can you hand those off to agencies that people can hire to help them optimize and use your software? Can you be like, here, we don't do this because we're a software company, but here's a service company that does do it, right? Can you, can you create a network that's much greater than you? Those companies are going to love you because you feed them business. So because there's all those individual conversations, what we're excited to do at Partner Hacker is to not just address the audience of people that work in partnerships at B2B SaaS companies. That is our core audience. That's the, that's the initial focus. And those people are amazing and they've been really enjoying the, the content. But it's to also speak to the founders, the execs, the C-suite, the heads of product, the heads of sales, the heads of marketing, the heads of success about how being a partner-led company, a company that's distribution strategy from day one is about living in the ecosystem, is about indirect ways of getting in front of customers through nodes of trust those conversations, and they're unique for each of those departments, it's very, very different. A tech integration is very different from an agency that, that installs your software and services it for people. But those are all part of the partner strategy and part of what I'm excited to be doing at Partner Hacker. So go to partnerhacker.com if you're interested in it, if you're in the B2B space.
We have a daily newsletter. We have a podcast. We just launched a book, a bunch of stuff coming out. You will see a ton more from me. I'll be talking about this and it will start to annoy you if you're not into it. Sorry, but I'm super into it. And uh, this is where we're going. I love just the journey, the ups and downs. Never would have predicted this, um, but I can't wait. I couldn't be more excited. Uh, we're, we're in it already and we're, we got a lot of big things coming. And I have nothing but, I, I'm still uh, an advisor to Praxis and Cameron and Mitchell are incredible over there. There's nothing that makes me more proud in the world than that Praxis lives and thrives and is such an incredible force, an incredible company. In fact, they're growing, they're hiring, they're doing amazing. And I'm so proud to have planted that seed and watched it grow and be there. And I will always be near and dear to my heart. Crash, which is now Career Hackers, absolutely love. Joel over there is absolutely crushing it. I love the content. I love that. All those ideas are like, they're in me. Like I live and breathe it. It's just second nature to me. And that stuff will always be near and dear to my heart. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a part of an event they've got coming up, um, advising them, still absolutely rooting for that stuff. But my main focus, what I'm wrapping myself in now is Partner Hacker, is taking some of these same ideas about value creation, about distributed networks, about uh, really the Hayekian idea of distributed knowledge, of the complexity of uh, ecosystems and markets, right? You can't centrally plan. The central planner's approach is like the direct sales and marketing, cram them in a funnel approach. And the ecosystem approach is much more organic. It's much more responsive to customers and it's, it's responsive to the shifts we see in the digital age. I'm thrilled about it and uh, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be going all in on it. So expect to hear more. As I said, I hope to do some retrospective, breaking down um, you know, all the things I learned through the journey at, at Crash uh, and, and whew, what a brutal journey it was. So as always, appreciate anybody who's, who's listening, following. I've had just over the years, so many amazing people um, follow the podcast, follow the blog, shoot me emails and stuff all the time. I love it. Any questions you have about Partner Hacker, I'm always around, Isaac at partnerhacker.com um, or anything really. So until next time.